The Walking Dead is back, and so is the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. This week, we'll be talking about the season five premiere, No Sanctuary, written by Scott M. Gimple and directed by Greg Nicotero. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the Sound on Sight Walking Dead podcast. This is Kate Kalzik, TV editor of Sound on Sight, and I'm joined as ever by my wonderful co-host, Ricky G, general editor, editor-in-chief, all of that good stuff. Ricky, how are you feeling about another season of The Walking Dead? Hey, Kate, I'm doing good. I'm actually kind of surprised that a few people tweeted and emailed asking if I'm coming back to the podcast. Why wouldn't I? Yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't. Uh... I mean, the last episode of the last season, I was pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. This is it's going to be fun talking about this episode. Um the show's back. I I I've been pretty ambivalent about the show for the last several years, but I you know, we like the last half season and at least I particularly like the character-based approach and now we got everybody back together for the most part. We'll see how it all comes together, but hopefully it'll be it'll be a really interesting, you know, strong first season kind of for Scott M. Gimple um being in charge, you know, now that we've got everything tied up from last season um yeah i I think they're gonna do a good job so it's a good start yeah well we should introduce our guest and here joining us from the ab club and sound on site now very exciting um it's les chapel les welcome to the podcast hello guys now, as we always see at the top here, uh, this podcast, we'll just be talking about this episode. Uh, we have not seen any pre- episodes that are coming. We haven't seen the rest of the, of the season, so we can't have any spoilers about that. And uh, I've not read the comic books. Ricky, what's your relationship with the Walking Dead comics? I've read some of the comic books, but um, it's coming to the point where I don't know what's going to happen in the future. Like, I haven't read, for example, like the Washington storyline. But regardless, we're not going to spoil anything for any of our listeners. Um, so, yeah, that's the point. We're not going to spoil the TV show. Yep. And, Les, have you read the comics? I have read a few of the comics here and there, and I've been spoiled on a lot of stuff that comes in the comics, but I cannot answer any – I don't answer specific questions about any of it. So, so while we may – there might be a few spoilers for other shows in here, uh, not recent spoilers, but this will have no no future information about The Walking Dead. So that being said, let's get in uh, to this episode, No Sanctuary. Uh, so, Les, what did you think about uh, the, the approach last season, the second half of last season, and what did you think about this premiere? Well, the last time I was on the podcast, I think I summarized the mid-season premiere as a very good episode of a show that I'm mad that I'm still watching. (laughs) And this year, I would actually say... I would say my feelings are much more positive about The Walking Dead because, as you both said, this I thought the last stretch of episodes, the first real stretch of episodes that Scott Gimple had as showrunner, was a heck of a lot more consistent than the show usually is. It was better on the the character work across is much stronger as opposed to how annoying it's been in previous years, and it blended much better with the zombie action scenes as opposed to just wait. Uh, twiddling your thumbs and waiting to get to the zombie action scenes. And I thought that No Sanctuary uh, continued that trend, but managed to amp up the energy as The Walking Dead usually does in its premieres and gave us a pretty gangbuster start to the season. 
Yeah, there was a lot of really positive critical buzz going into this episode. And um, in, in for a show that, you know, I feel like hardly anybody uh, that I know has, has been watching in this last half of the show, half of uh, season four. Uh, and hardly anybody except 12 million people week yeah, to week. Har- yeah, as I say, hardly anybody that I talk to on Twitter. All, all the, the critical community seems pretty... Yeah, I seem to have given up on the show. Um, and so it was it was great to see such positive buzz. I, I got to say, for most of the the start of this episode, until we started really diving in with Carol, um, I was just sort of, it felt like Walking Dead as usual. Um, it, a lot of the earlier part of the episode was not very effective for me, even though it was like The Walking Dead always is. It's very beautifully shot and uh, excellent effects and all, and they do a good job with action. You know, when they when they have the our four of our leads lined up next to a trough, I'm like, mm, if you wanted me to think any of these characters were in danger, you shouldn't have started by threatening Glenn, because I know you're not going to kill Glenn in the premiere. No, if you and if you wanted us to think these characters were in danger, you shouldn't have started by stacking four red shirts next to them. Exactly. Uh, so so I was a little disappointed early on, um, but then I was very glad to see that get turned around. Um, and, and I th- thought they did a good job this episode of blending the larger scale elements with the small scale. And we'll talk, I'm sure, about Tyrese and Martin um, in in the, that house, I guess, in the woods. But uh, before we get to any of that, I want to know, uh, Rick, you, you mentioned this on Twitter. Uh, so the Walking Dead podcast here, we <laughs> you ask for things to happen, and then sometimes it takes a while. But they seem to all happen because you asked you asked for a rocket launcher last season. I, I asked for a rocket launcher at the end of last season. It was either the season finale or the second last episode. Yes. And here and we get it. And it's awesome. Here we get it. It's awesome. I also do we call them red shirts or brown shirts? Well, you know, it doesn't really matter. They they are definitely red shirts in the Star Trek tradition. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm old fashioned that way, I suppose. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, yeah, we got the rocket launcher. But you know what? You know, I- I'm actually surprised you don't like the beginning because, yeah, I didn't expect Glenn, Bob, Daryl or Rick to actually be executed. But I actually love the way Greg, uh, Greg Nicotero directed that sequence. Like I thought he did a fantastic job with his camera angles, holding a shot an extra second longer than expected, going cutting back and forth be- between the reactions of the executioners and our survivors, our heroes. And uh, I thought he did a fantastic job in directing this episode. Like, in terms of like the framing, of course, the cinematography is always beautiful. I love the score. Once again, um, I love the opening sequence. I, I thought it was sort of like nail biting. But the thing is, you're right. We didn't expect any of these characters to die, which is why I think The Walking Dead needs to take a bullet. I think they actually need to kill somebody big really soon. So from now on, us, the viewers, will actually think that whenever we get one of these sequences, yes, they can die. They need to do sort of like a Ned Stark and Game of Thrones kind of thing, where like anybody can die at any time. And we've had some main characters die in the past, of course, but they've always died in episodes where you knew somebody big would die. You know, it's either like the mid-season uh, um, break or it's like the, the last episode of the season, but they uh, just kind of need to shock us. Uh, are you remember? Are you forgetting the tragic mid-season death of the show's best character, T Dog? Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. It's it, it, but that was at the mid-season, right? Right before the break. No, that was that. No, well, that was in the that was in the middle of the mid-season. Like that was oh, like was I think it? an episode four or five. Yeah, I don't remember much about T Dog. No, oh, because that was also the episode <laughs> that that was also the episode where uh, Lori gave birth and then Carl had to shoot her in the head. Oh, that was a fantastic episode. Well, here's yes, the thing was. for me: I don't need the show to just kill main characters but 
if they're not going to, and that's that's completely fine. I feel like The Walking Dead has kind of established that's the kind of show that this is. Yeah. Then I they just shouldn't pretend like they want us to think they might. I think this this opening sequence could have been a lot more effective. I think it's much more effective when he's threatening to stab Bob's eye because that's the thing the show could do. I could I could buy them like injuring somebody in a significant way, like cutting off a, a hand or an arm or or blinding them in an eye or something like that. That seemed like it was a more legitimate threat than when we're supposed to think, oh, are they going to all get... We know they're not going to all get killed. The part of that opening sequence that did work for me is I really liked seeing how they, when they're inside the boxcar, they've oh, turned yes. their belt into a weapon. I Just that that really quiet moment, um, just is such a brief thing, but with Maggie taking uh, Herschel's watch and turning mm -hmm. the chain into a, a weapon. Yeah, which, by the way, I'm at Katepa, uh, I couldn't figure out how she'd gotten that watch back because it was established at the end of the last episode that uh, that's Alan, I think his name was, had the watch, and that's what set Rick and his team off. No, I so think I'd... he took the other watch, which which is the watch that Carol picks up midway through this episode. Mm -hmm. No, it was no. I remember this because I actually rewatched the season finale before watching this one, and it was Glenn's pocket watch because he saw the watch chain. So oh, maybe really? he, he might he might have taken it off that guy after he got shot. I don't know. Oh, but in any yeah. case, I I want to hundred percent agree with you on that on that uh, little just a sort of improvised weapon montage because I thought that was terrific, both as a just getting us back into showing us what deep trouble these characters are in and what they have to resort to. But I thought it was also a really neat little exposition delivery in some spots because they're making their weapons, but they're also making conversation. Daryl tells the group about. Beth's disappearance, uh, uh, Tyrese's sister, whose name I'm completely blanking on, asks if Tyrese was with them. I just thought it was a very neat little way to sort of bring us back up to speed with everything, with the big events that happened last season, and to remind us why the people who aren't in the train car aren't in the train car. Yeah, well, it also reminds us of what Rick said at the end of last season when he says they don't know who they are messing with, uh, which really echo heavily throughout the whole entire episode because, I mean, this is an episode in which just about everyone, especially Carol, is totally badass, you know? But um, going back to the sequence we were talking about in terms of, like, creating suspense and us, you know, actually uh, not, not expecting any of the main characters to die, I actually love the opening sequence because I think that Greg Nicotero and Scott and Gimple were really playing with the, uh, the, the whole entire scene. Like, they were having fun with it. Like, they knew that we knew that nobody big was going to die, but the way they would tease us and continuously cut away and, like, you think, you know, the guy would raise his machete and then he would bring it down and he would raise his machete and they would do it again. Like, I think they were having a lot of fun with that scene and playing around with the tropes of the horror genre, but a scene in which it doesn't really work for me is the sequence in which Tyrese get, is, is, is forced to walk outside of the cabin when there's a bunch of walkers, uh, you know, pretty much trying to crawl their way into the cabin. Like, we've seen that, yeah, I think it was in the previous season when he's in the car and they cut away and there's like, I don't know, like 50 zombies on top of the car and then you know, mm -hmm. we figure that, of course, Tyrese is going to survive because he's Tyrese is the main character. And, of course, he does. And they kind of do the same thing here. I thought that sequence would have been amazing if we actually saw how he took out all six or eight zombies. But instead, they kind of cut away. But we know he's going to survive. So that was a tad bit disappointing for me, that sequence. But I really, really, really loved the opening, Kate. Loved it. <laughs> I thought it was like one of the highlights of the series so far.
I think that's like one of the best openings of any Walking Dead season, except for like the first episode, the pilot, which is still the best episode of the series. Well, um, the one other element I will mention that I really liked about that uh, that opening boxcar element is that they, we see them getting all prepared and they're ready to go and they're going to kick some ass. And then it doesn't matter because they and then just boom, tear gas, tear which... gas, just, you know, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice little reminder of the fact that, yes, the group, we, we think our group, oh, yeah, these people are totally badass. They're survivors. But you have to also remember, this isn't the, that clearly these aren't the first people that the Terminus group has captured. They've done this before, and Rick and his group aren't the first assholes who thought they could outsmart them. Yeah, exactly. Okay, this is going to sound really horrible, but it's a big mistake. They actually left them alive because they, the, the, the exact same thing has happened to these people in the past, and they come back and, Look what they did. <laughs> they took back the sanctuary and they became these monstrous cannibals. Now they're clearly going to go after Rick and the gang. Like, it's for sure that's what's going to happen. But what I found so surprising about this episode is how quickly Terminus is re- re- resolved. Like, yes, there's still characters alive. And yes, we still have the villain. I think I think his yeah, name there, there's, is, uh, there is there is no way we saw him take a bullet. There is no way Gareth is dead. Yeah, there's no way Gareth is dead. He's totally going to go after Rick and the gang. But at least he's Terminus, got, he is Governor 2.0. Well, hopefully he's going to be better than the governor, but at least Terminus is destroyed because I was kind of worried we're going to have sort of like another Woodbury season. You know, it's all going to focus around the Terminus and it's going to be a lot of rinse and repeat from like season three. But no, it's like the Terminus is destroyed and now they're on the road. And I feel like uh, I'm going to get what I also asked for, Kate, which is last season. I was like, why can't we just have them on the road? Why can't we have them on the road traveling to different destinations and seeing more of the countryside, more of the city see more locations, more of the world, like see more world building. And I think that's what we're going to get this season, which is why I'm so excited because they are on the road. It's going to be like a road movie for the first half of season five. It's going to be awesome. Well, it seems pretty clear the first thing they're going to go do is find Beth. And I like that. Uh, And then from there, you know, if if they're going to go to D.C., that certainly could be a lot of fun. But um, if... it, okay, if they want to have Gareth come back, I suppose that certainly was an effective performance from uh, from Andrew West, and uh, they did a very good job of establishing. You know, the, the actor has a lot a lot of presence in the role, but he just the, just the character. He there's menace. There's uh, it's a different kind of baddie than we've seen. Yeah, but there's also some sort of like officious bureaucrat at about him. I was I actually watched The Talking Dead after this episode, and Scott Gimple uh, compared that scene where uh, going back to the opening scene where uh, they're basically whacking the red shirts, Glenn's about to die and then Gareth comes in with his clipboard just talking about uh, the, about collecting bullet shells and then all of a sudden it's like they're Jim and Dwight from The Office except they're bound and gagged. Mm. Uh, but but if the rest of the, if anybody else from uh, Terminus shows back up, I'm going to be pissed. I mean, just it, allow a character to just die and not come back you know we don't need every villain to recur for like it just makes me think of you know these these shouldn't be you know michael myers and uh jason Voorhees type villains there should be characters that can just not come back and also the fact that when they have more i mean i know the show's biggest point is about the fact that humans can be as monstrous as the monsters but it's that quote of rick's all the way back from the pilot there's us and the dead and it's far more interesting when it's Rick and his group versus the dead rather than Rick his group versus some loony. Well, um, it depends. I mean, I, I like the idea of man versus man as opposed to like the uh, zombies being the real monsters. But the thing is, I, I think we all just got sick and tired of the governor. But the difference between the character of Gareth and the governor is, first of all, 
it's clear as day the guy is not dead. He's going to come back. They give us that that shot in which Rick stares him down. He shoots him. He misses, or I think he hits him, but like it's not a fatal wound. Yeah. So we well, know he's not dead. And also, I think that that that's the difference between governor as opposed to the governor just kind of like reappearing, reappearing, and he's still alive and he's super powered and he can somehow convince a, a whole group of new people to follow his lead. And you know, oh, and he and he has a tank somehow. And he has a tank, which I do like the tank, by the way. But and also, at least they are giving us. Uh, glimpses of Gareth and his mom, Mary, and the rest of his friends and family in the past. Like, that's what I like about the bookends of this episode. Like, and I'm assuming we're probably going to get maybe a whole entire episode, which follows around Gareth, or maybe not a whole entire episode, Ugh. but a few more scenes of Gareth. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm already not looking forward to that episode because what, as what I thought I did enjoy the fact that they did went to lengths to humanize the terminus population to basically have you understand where they came from and how they came to this conclusion. But I really, really don't need an entire episode of Gareth just wandering around, uh, trying to get some group, find a couple people, people that be like, Oh, you're a good guy. You're a good guy. And then the episode ends with him ripping one of their throats out with his teeth and noshing on it. Well, and I thought that there was a, an appropriate level of that in this episode. We see, you know, what happened to them, the, the, just the two then flashbacks. I thought that that worked very well and it showed how that group responded to this kind of trauma. And then now we'll have to see how Rick's group, you know, responds to that type of trauma moving forward. We see how they respond here. They still let the guy out of the, the extra box car. I agree with some other reviews I've seen uh, <laughs> that having there just be one crazy guy in the box car was, I mean, that's a bit on the nose. And, and I don't, this notion that only Rick's group are not crazy people um, is a bit much for me, but, um, but, and even just with those flashbacks, I really liked having them, but I, I didn't need there to be that direct quote of either you're the cattle or the butcher. Having that just literally quoted twice, you know, it's the, the Denise Crosby character quoting her, her, I guess it's her son, um, Gareth. Was she Gareth's mother or were they just people that they knew each other in the car? Mary is Gareth's mom. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. He's gonna... uh, well, I think so because they pretty much, yeah, no, it's got to be his mom. Oh. Wow, he's going to be but, super but, pissed when he finds out that uh, Carol just let the zombies eat her. Well, and the other that's my other issue with the character coming back is if the, if the character's going to come back, they've done a good job of establishing a reason for it. But again, I if every time the the group runs into somebody there there's a conflict and because they're not in Rick's group that means they have to be crazy or want to kill everyone because that's what that's what the show is established for or, the jo- most part. or join Rick's group at some point. Or join Rick's group, those are the options. Um then the fact that they all then come back later to hunt hunt the group down, either they're dead or they, they just are bound and determined that they're going to show up because they have to kill that group, like we saw with the governor, and this would be the second time, um, that would that just gets frustrating to me. Because don't they have other things they need to worry about in this post-apocalyptic wasteland? Yeah, I, I, when the whole group was leaving the at the very end of the episode and they're all just walking to wherever they're walking, my thought is, don't they need to eat something? You know, I don't know. Uh, and I'm sure, like I've said, if the character Gareth does come back, like you guys are pretty sure he will. And that would make sense for the show with what they've done in the past. I just really want this to be the last time that happens, that we have yeah. a, a, a vanquished foe, you know, rise again, only stronger the second time. Yeah, uh, well, well, The Walking Dead is based on a comic book, and that is unfortunately a comic book mentality. Yeah, right. but, but, yeah, and, but there's and, a... 
But while they have supervillains, they had superheroes, and I think we've talked about Gareth enough. So can we please talk about Carol and how awesome Carol was this week? Um, yeah, so I think Carol steals the show once again, and personally, I think she's now my fan favorite. And I wouldn't be surprised if she's going to be more popular than Daryl come the next two weeks, because that's all everyone's talking about is Carol. I mean, first of all, okay, forget about her attacking the compound by herself. We also have to remember that she pretty much protects baby Judith and Tyrese on the road because Tyrese is not even able to kill a walker. So not only does she protect the biggest guy in the show and the little baby who everyone adores and loves, but then she runs to the rescue of her old friends. She shows up with this freaking like a sniper rifle, starts taking out the guards, finds a way to use fireworks. I don't know what, what the hell she's doing. She's like MacGyver. She uses like a rocket launcher. She blows up like the tank. And that explosion was amazing. Did you see how many zombies went flying backwards? There's at least oh, that, 50 that's, zombies. That's easily one of the most impressive special effects they've had on this show to date. Uh, yeah, we need some more zombies like blowing up. That was amazing. Uh, but I love the way she just used her imagination. And she, of course, covers herself with the zombie guts and blood so she can like uh, you know, blend in, but she, to me, which, she, is, yeah, which is fun. Cause we, we haven't seen that tactic since episode two or three. Well, uh, and Michonne, if I'm wrong, Michonne did it right. Last, yeah. the last time. Yeah. No, I, but, I, I, I don't think about that with Michonne. I just always think about Michonne with her jawless walkers. Yeah. Yeah. But, but the thing I loved about, uh, Carol in this episode is not only is she totally badass, like she looks like she should be given her own like Hollywood blockbuster action summer film. Right. But she's also sort of like a ghost. Like, the way she walks in and nobody sees her, like, Rick doesn't see her, uh, Gareth doesn't see her, like, nobody sees her except for Mary, who catches her in the sort of uh, room in which I guess it's like a shrine or I don't know what they do in this room. They probably pray or something. There's, like, candles. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, but, yeah my, my theory is it's, just, it's like their version of, their, of the tomb for the dead, but there's no bodies to bury because they eat them. They eat them, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I just love the way she just blends in, and there's some beautiful cinematography, some beautiful shots. There's one shot in which she's walking really slow, and there's, like, an explosion, and all the smoke and mist just, like, hovers around her. It's beautiful. Love this episode. Love Carol. Well, and, again, it's a very lo-fi solution to their problem and i and i I love that they set up this you know they set up the scenario set up just how intense and um difficult it's going to be and it's not dissimilar to the very you know like when they set up the issues with woodbury where they have this just this group that has the compound and how are they possibly gonna they storm the compound they needed to do something different here and and i like the way the solution is just it's one person and what this episode also highlights and they do this with Carol, and they also do it with uh, many of the group at Terminus. The the zombie apocalypse uh, is not always survived by the people you expect. So we've got, you know, Tyrese, who's huge and a total, uh, total badass. We keep, every time I say the word badass, I can't help. But for those out there who watched The Good Wife (laughs) last night, uh, I just keep going back to that in my, in my head. Uh, There are many different types of badass. And um, what this episode highlights is that it's not... It's not Tyrese. It's not like these giant, huge people who look like they'd be really strong that are, you know, have been successful here at Terminus for so long. They're pretty much skinny dudes and Denise Crosby are who we see. They look like regular people. Um, It's not necessarily who you would expect to be the people running, you know ruling over a compound in uh, a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And here, Carol, of the group, when you first met the group, you would never have thought that she would be the one who'd be able to Rambo her way in and save this whole group. Yeah, you never would have you never would have thought that back in th- 
that you would actually like Carol as a character because she was uh, you, she's associated with one of the show's most notorious narrative dead ends, the search for Sophia in season two. But I've been a Carol supporter from the the go, so I That's feel very true. vindicated. Oh come, come on! You, were, you weren't supporting Carol when she was bitching about women have to do laundry. I was I was pro Carol long two. before everybody else. I'll say that uh, I would have to go back and re, re- listen to it again. Season one, you were more anti-Ed or whatever her husband's name yeah. was. You were uh, pro-Carol. But the other thing that I really like about just a nice little detail, I love that she cleans herself up before she finds the group. She's like, there's no more blood on her face. She's like, she's showered and done her hair. <laughs> I, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm totally confused about the relationship between Daryl and Carol. Like, I don't know if Carol has an attraction to Daryl or if she just sees Daryl has sort of like a son, but I She think... called him Pookie last season. They right, were exactly. they were fuck buddies last season. So well, were they? Because there's this rumor going around that apparently his character is actually gay or closeted. I don't know if you guys have heard about that or read about I it. I haven't. Frankly I buy that rumor more than I buy the idea that Daryl and Carol were shacking up. Yeah, me too. I don't think they were shacking up. I think that Carol has an attraction to him. Um, maybe it's innocent, maybe it's not, but I think the point is I think I would sort of clean myself up. I don't want to reunite with you know, Tyrese and, and especially being around the baby. Like, I mean, it's a baby. You don't want the baby to catch like zombie germs or whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Wait, wait, wait. I got to pause this here. We did not see anything on screen last season, but did we not see the two of them like, hey, want to go have a quickie? And then they like, leave? Well, we see them. Didn't that happen wait, did, wait, <laughs> last did, year? Wait, did that happen? No, but we don't see them actually kiss or have sex or exert something's implied but we, we don't, don't see what. anyone have sex on the show if they aren't rick or glenn and maggie oh right. no we saw we saw the governor banging andrea oh that's <laughs> true we did see that i've kind of tried to wipe that out of my brain but yeah you're right. that was the thing that happened oh anyways okay so we'll have to hear from our listeners about that because that that's a very i, I could have sworn that was established in the show but maybe i'm remembering you know, incorrectly. I really want to know, and I guess we, we can't really discuss this now, but I really want to know what exactly this sort of fuss is about. Like, it, it, are they making his character gay or not? Or like, is he closeted or because I was hearing someone, uh, I'm sorry, I was reading an article in which someone called them prison gay. I'm like, what the hell is prison gay? Like, what is that? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. But I mean, it would be cool if they had a gay character on the show, like an openly gay character. Not that he's openly gay, but it would be cool if they had a gay character. If it's Daryl, that would be awesome. Well, they do have a lesbian character. Well, yeah, that lesbian character is not a good character. That, that lesbian character is not a character. Is she the, uh, is that the Hispanic Maggie, as I always call her? It's, or it's, is the, it's, oh, no, it's, oh, no, his, oh, no, Hispanic Maggie is the one with a mullet and a handlebar mustache. It's the character who was with was with Glenn last year. Don't tell me they have names. They do not have names. There's no girl with a <laughs> Yes, there yes there is. There, yeah, there there's Abraham, there's Eugene, and then they've got uh Rosalita, I think. She was really yeah. she wore really short shorts all season. Yeah, and but... then there's the one survivor of the governor's rampage, the Tara, I think her name is. Yes, Tara is the character who is a lesbian. She was the one who was with Glenn last year before they hooked up with that trio of characters. Uh, yeah, but, but but Alana Masterson, the actress, does not have a handlebar mustache. I, I'm talking about Michael Cudlitz's character. Michael uh, Cudlitz's character uh, is handlebar mustache. Yeah, who basically, I, I only know those characters by their hair. Okay, we've gone far afield. Wait, I have a question. Should... I have a question before we yes. forget. Um, I, I know it's going to sound stupid, but did Michonne get back her samurai sword or her katana? 
We didn't see that happen. I don't think she did because at the very end, she's still wearing that, wielding that cool double-bladed improvised weapon she made out of the sheath. I know Daryl got his crossbow back because we what? saw Carol recover it, but no, I think the sword's still out there. But but you know you know I don't know what you call it, but the actual pouch in which you put the sword in, like you you insert the, the blade. Yeah. Scabbard. Okay. So she had it. Carol had it, but I didn't notice the sword. So that's why I was confused. Because the yeah, I can't imagine Michonne walking around without a sword. It's going to be odd. It, it is odd. But, and I like in the next uh, the next week, that we only saw her carrying a – we only see her carrying a gun. So, I don't know, maybe Gareth's got her sword. Also, I was really grossed out watching this episode because, I mean, every single week when watching The Walking Dead, we see zombies eat people. And I don't know, maybe it's because I've been watching zombie movies since I was a kid that it just doesn't really affect me. But just the idea of people eating people, like people that are actually people, not – the dead coming back to life was gross. Like seeing the bodies or like the corpses and the butcher room, like the slaughterhouse was disgusting. And even it was, when... it, it was very much the anti Hannibal. Oh, it was so gross. Yeah. But okay. But yes, talking about people, 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 I have to just uh, gripe for one moment. The moment where the terminus zombies are starting to invade and one of the zombies rips off the guy's face and he's eating his nose. That was the fakest blood I have ever seen on this show. Not just the fakest blood, the fakest CGI period. That was horrible. That was like the worst special effect ever on the show. So, and and which is really just uh, really disappointing given how much the show does like the show's special effects are the best thing the show does, mm-hmm. and so it was disapp- And there were a lot of really good kills this episode, particularly the one where I think it was Daryl smashed that one zombie up against the wall, and his eye popped out as his entire skull caves in. That was very well done. But yeah, that scene with the blood was like, okay, he just spilled fruit punch on this guy's face. But there must be a reason. Maybe it's because when they got into post, like there was like a big glaring error or someone in the background or something, so they had no choice. Because Greg Nicotero directed this episode. Episode. And like you said, the rest of the effects are fantastic. There's got to be a reason for the cover-up. Yeah, it, it's just really, really weird in comparison to what the show usually does. Yep. I would just imagine part of that is because fire is hard. No, hold on a second. I said fire is like the hardest thing to do on special effects. I think it was, I don't, was it on the Walking Dead podcast or maybe it was a movie podcast I do? And then someone disagreed. And I was like, no, fire is like the hardest thing to do in water. It's like every time I see fire in like the Walking Dead, it never looks right. Or any like any television show, like even Game of Thrones, it just never looks right. It looks odd. It doesn't look realistic. Like there's something weird about it. Fire and water are two of the most challenging effects to do. Yes, that seems that, that as I understand it, at least that's a pretty much a given for for effects. But let's I've, let's talk about some of these characters because we've barely touched on them. I want to go back to Tyrese. Um, Ricky said earlier that the scene was less effective for you when he had to get pushed outside of the the house and you wanted to see that fight. I was very glad that it was kept off screen. I didn't want to see it. Um, because I just don't think we need to. I think it was much more effective the way it, the way it was shot. However, I will agree that you can't really... They've already done that. They can't really do it again. Well, that's the thing. They did it once, did it twice. They can't ever do it again. No, they certainly can't. Uh, but I liked when we see... Because we still have the sound. I was like, is is Tyrese making that sound? I like that we did see that he had stuck one of the walkers so that he would still be making noise. And so there that, that would lure uh, Martin you know, towards the door so that he could take him out. I thought that was all very effective. But let's talk about those those scenes with Martin. This is Chris Coy, who I enjoyed very much on Treme in its last two seasons. Um, what did you guys think of that performance and uh, the, those conversations we got? 
I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of those sequences because I don't think it really added anything new to the show. Like we do, like I mean, the scenes are sort of important because it does get Tyrese back to his former self. Like I assume at the end at the end of the sequence, he killed uh, Martin, but we're actually we're not even sure he could still be alive because he doesn't let Carol enter the cabin, so maybe he's hiding something. I think um, it's, I think it's just more he. I think it's more he went absolutely batshit on the guy and does yeah. not want anyone to see what he did. But, but, but my problem with, with the scenes, it was more so the dialogue. Like, I just did not give a shit about Martin and hearing him talk to Tyrese. And I, I, but but the thing is, the, the moment when he picks up the baby and he's about to snap her neck, I was like, sort of like screaming. I'm like, no! Even though, again, I know Judith's not gonna die, but... Yeah, Mar- and Martin was so completely established as a villain in these scenes. Like, we see him talking about how the samurai put up a fight disparagingly and he says he wants he wants carl's hat after they bleed carl out and just that he's there basically he i mean i thought those scenes were the weakest part of the episode if only because the episodes where the walking dead is majorly octane action the talking scenes are always going to drag them down but i thought that both uh, chad coleman and chris coy did a fine job with the material uh, even though, again, as you said, Ricky, it's material that talking about just the moral dilemmas that this world faces. We've heard that it's a we've heard it all before. I don't know. It just it just felt like it wasn't really advancing the plot. It wasn't doing much for the show. It wasn't adding any, anything new. It just it was just there. And the guy is dead. So let's move on. Um, I completely I disagree with you guys. Yeah, I, really, I figured that's why you, you brought it up, Kate, because you probably love that sequence. Well, actually, no, but I think it was very, <laughs> I think it was very important for this episode because otherwise you don't have any, it's, it's just Carol be, being a badass and the group fighting. There's no, nothing like else. Well, I no, do say yeah. it like it's a bad thing because you need to have that contrast. This, this version of The Walking Dead, it seems to me, Gimple's version of The Walking Dead is a much more uh, introspective version of the show. And so, by including those scenes, the the showrunner saying this is just this conversation is just as important to me as the action, and it also gives you a chance to rest and and to break up the action so it doesn't just all bleed together, and and uh, lose some of its uh, significance, L- lose some of the um, the weight of of those action beats mm-hmm. by giving uh, you a breather. But I think we agree. Like that's what I'm saying. Like I even wrote the, wrote this in my review. Like the scene does serve like a purpose in the sense that, like I said before. You know, it does get Therese to his former self, and we do have that dialogue established. I just didn't like the dialogue. Like, I don't like the way it was written. Like, I don't know what they could have done to change it. Like, they are still exploring these themes, but I just, I didn't need to hear a villain, like, straight up say why he's a bad guy and why he's going to kill Therese and why he's going to survive. Like, I don't know. There was just something about the dialogue that I did not like. It just didn't work for me. But the idea of having the sequence there, I agree. Like, there's a reason for it. Okay. It was more of, it was more of, like, the execution for me personally just didn't land. Like it wasn't terrible. It just, for me was the most, and again, I always say this, it wasn't the highlight of the episode. It was like the least exciting part of the episode, but it's still an episode. That's a pretty damn good episode. So that's not necessarily a knock on the sequence as a whole. (laughs) Yeah. I think my, I think what my biggest problem with the sequence was, is the fact that it, we didn't really learn anything about the Terminus worldview from that sequence. I mean, there's a lot of talk about how it's a safe place, uh, but the, the scenes that really stick out to me are more just him talking about how, yeah, I used to have friends. I don't even remember that. I've just got people I'm with to stay alive. But I feel like 
anything he was saying was something we could have heard from any of the random ne'er-do-wells that Rick and his group have come across in their travels. It was not specifically terminus enough. And I think for, and especially once it was very clear, uh, before even the halfway point that Terminus was not long for this world. I think we needed more of that Terminus worldview. And rather than having it expressed all the way through flashbacks, it would have been better if Martin actually, you knew if you understood more where he was coming from, rather than just him offering up some creepy baby threatening menace. Well, I, first of all, I think that we got just enough Terminus worldview. I don't think we needed, I don't think the Terminus worldview is more complicated than what we saw. And so I like that they didn't try to develop that further. Also, with this, I, that conversation about how he doesn't have friends, he has people that he's with to be alive, that is directly tied to Tyrese's relationship with Carol, because of course Carol killed, uh, oh goodness, what's her name? Karen? Is that her name? Sarah? His, girl, his girlfriend? Uh, uh and at the what's prison, what's what's her face, prison lady? I, yeah, I want to say it's Karen. I could be Karen and David, but I could be wrong about that. It's Karen. Um, not- yeah. So, so the, the relationship between Tyrese and Carol is incredibly complicated, and uh, and he would not call Carol his friend. Carol, at, when they're having that conversation, Carol is a person Tyrese is staying with to stay alive, and so putting those two people in a room together, having them ha- having Martin talk about, you know, that's his experience forces Tyrese to think about his relationship with Carol and with the group and what that means. And is he like, is his relationship with Carol one? He does, he want it to be the type of relationship that Martin has with the people at Terminus, or is he going to start trying to forgive her and repairing that relationship? So, I think the subtext of of Tyrese and Carol's relationship was there throughout that scene, and I liked that they didn't go, that's just like me and Carol. Yeah, so, but the thing is, everything it does for Tyrese is good, but I just don't like this Martin character. Like, I, I kind of, like, this is my problem. Like, I know I'm watching The Walking Dead, and it's a show about zombies, but I have a hard time believing that this group, who apparently were, like, good people and started a sanctuary, can become so... So bad. Like, they're such monsters to the point where they can eat people and kill babies. Uh, You know, just right away randomly snap a baby's neck. Like, I don't know. He didn't seem like that terrible of a person. Well, I think that's their point, that he's not wearing, you know, there's no bubble over his head that says, evil guy. Even just in, you know, again, the same thing with the physicality. He he seems very unassuming, which is why... you cast that actor in that kind of a role instead of someone who seems more over the top. No, but he, 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 he's creepy. He just, he was creepy, but not, he was creepy and kind of like, not the kind of character that I would find threatening. Like kind of a character I would be, I find sort of like a sleaze. I don't know. Anyhow. Yeah, he was, he was, cre- I, maybe I'm saying this because he's, I've been watching fr- a lot of Friday Night Lights lately. He's creepy. Like he's like Swede creepy. <laughs> well, uh, for, yeah. And again, uh, I think we just see the scene differently or, or have, you know, different things we appreciate about it. I agree with what you're saying, Kate, about how that that might have been the that was the intention of the scene. I just don't think that the execution of that scene were of it were, that it worked particularly well going for the means that you were describing. Well, and what I what I would say, though, with that is um, I, I don't disagree. Well, I actually I, I do disagree, Ricky, but I think that ties in with this, what I was saying earlier, where on The Walking Dead, everybody they run into is either crazy or evil or joins the group. And so just having 
there be, you know, so, so they're, they started out just like Rick's group, but they went crazy because of the trauma they experienced. It would be nice to see them run into somebody who didn't, you know, and, and didn't just join up with the group. You know, this notion that there are other people out there who have experienced the same kind of trauma as Rick's group, but haven't gone crazy. It would be nice to see a contrast, you know. No, that, that's actually, I, I agree with you there. It would be nice to say they wander past uh, a new Woodbury or something like that, a community where everyone's perfectly happy and they've got their they've got stuff going on. But ultimately, Rick and his group decide that, you know, we wish you well. We just can't fit in with you. Like just the, the attitude of these ad- sort of actually reminds me of what happened at the end of season two of Falling Skies when they finally made their way to Charleston. Uh, there was a lot of fr- friction between uh, the Noah, the Tom uh, Tom Mason's group and the people at Charleston because Charleston had be- what became all civilized again and was reacting as if, oh, we don't really need to worry about this alien invasion anymore. And the group was like, no, we've been on the front lines for way too long. This has messed us up. Well, they have sort of done it with the character who I think is my favorite character, who, by the way, reappears at the end of the episode, and that's Morgan, because we do get Morgan in the pilot. He disappears. He goes in his own direction. Rick goes in, in his own direction. And he, he comes back in the episode of Clear, which is the second best episode of the season, of the series. But but the thing about this season, from my understanding, is the producer said it's really going to focus on, like, the core theme of the season is going to be the difference between Rick and his friends and the rest of the world. And the thing is, is that if they're going to do that, that is fine. But you're right, Kate. We do need to see some people who aren't downright evil. Like, it would be nice if they kind of just, like, I don't know, met some more people like Morgan along the way. So we'll see. And you read my mind because that's where I was going next. Uh, before we run out of time, we got to talk a little bit about Morgan. Um, my DVR cut off right as he went to take off his mask. Uh, I was like, "Who could this possibly be?" Oh, and the that, governor. I was like, I, "Like the way that they, the way that the episode played it." I was like, "Oh, this better not fucking be the governor." <laughs> We've seen him die, but you know, something like that. I was like, "Who could this possibly be?" With the buildup that they're giving it, and then when I went online and saw that it was Morgan, I was like, "Okay." Fair enough. They earned it. That's that's a pretty great reveal. Um, I'm very glad to have Morgan kind of pop up. And I think it's an excellent example, Rick, like you said, of the show not falling into that habit. Mm-hmm. And what, what do you guys think of him popping back up here, theoretically being a recurring presence, even if it's just sort of following the group and then joining up with them later? Uh, what, do, what do you think of him popping up here? I think it's I think it's terrific. I mean, it's always good to see Lenny James in anything that isn't Low Winter Sun. So I'm, <laughs> I'm happy to see him back. And more, and I was talking. We were talking earlier about just how the Terminus characters uh, maybe not being as developed. Morgan has only appeared t- in two episodes. I feel like that character is phenomenally well developed, even though we've only seen him twice. And I don't know if that's just because the writers have a very set idea for him or if it's entirely due to Lenny James' performance. But having him in this show again in some capacity, particularly given his history with Rick and, by extension, Michonne and Carl, means... Sorry, but, but you're, um, I just want to jump in quickly. One of the reasons why he's so well-established is because the two episodes in which he appeared, a lot of screen time was devoted to him and Rick, and they're, they're, they're sort of... beginning of a friendship like their relationship because you can call it like like that's what i love about episodes that focus on fewer characters because you do have the time to establish these characters more give them more dialogue give them more scenes and and reasons and and sequences to interact and i think that's why it worked like i mean look at the episode clear and the pilot i mean sure the pilot didn't necessarily focus entirely on the character morgan in the sun but he took up a good amount of screen time and that's why even last season i can't remember the name of the episode but it's 
it was the episode that focuses uh, heavily on Daryl and Beth, and they're in a cabin in the woods. Like, I love episodes like that, personally. Like, I oh, want to get to know... Their, moon, their moonshine drinking. Right. I want to get to see more episodes like that. So, yeah. I actually th- would connect it less to the fact that the that the Lenny James character, Morgan got a lot of screen time, and more with the fact that he was intended to be a one-off character in both. He, he's not inc- intended to join the group and recur, and so they don't feel like they need to have, like, a continuing storyline with him. They can just... They have this idea of who he is, and they present it, and then it's done. Um, and and I would say we saw that also uh, with the the M- Michael Raymond James character who showed up for like as an episode. He's he's the the character who they run into in the bar, yeah. and and they had the standoff with him. You know, he shows up and we're like, oh, Michael Raymond James, awesome. He's gonna join the cast. Oh, no, he's not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah. they do a better job with those one-off characters, those characters that they don't necessarily um that they don't intend to bring back they they flesh them out much more and that's an issue with the show they should be able to flesh out their recurring characters as well as they do the one-offs indeed so yeah and i have absolutely no idea how much more morgan we're going to get this season if any but i like the i I feel like they shouldn't feel obligated to bring morgan into the group as especially the glimpses we got of him in clear saw that he is pretty dangerously unhinged and probably doesn't want to be in the group but i kind of like the idea that he's just sort of floating off to the side, maybe supporting Rick's group in hidden ways, or like they'll, they may periodically come to him if they need their support, if they need his support. So I'd like the idea that he can exist in this supporting capacity. And given how well he has worked in the limited doses, that's probably the best use of him because I don't think that they should be diluting the Morgan character too heavily. At at this point, I think we're we're either going to get Morgan for like a good chunk of the season or, he's going to die or something like they can't bring Morgan in for one more episode and he disappears again. Like, you know, they, they've already done that twice. I think it's, I think it's more likely that we'll see him here, but we probably won't see him again until the mid season finale. Hmm. Um, I just got to quickly say before we end the podcast that I think the highlight for me personally, shocker is the final 10 minutes or like at least the final five minutes. Cause I love the reunion. Like I really needed oh, to see God, these characters yes, reunite. So- I'm so happy you mentioned that because that was also it definitely hit me as well. It always sort of marvels me that for all the as much fun as I make of The Walking Dead and when it and how I can get too talky when it's trying to be emotional, it does its reunions so well. Like Carol and Daryl embracing each other, Rick just practically tumbling over his feet to get to Judith, the uh, the just sheer relief on Tyrese and his sister's faces. That's just it's just a great scene because you can see on everyone's face the fact that after they've just been through hell and they're like we're okay. We're still okay. We're still together. There's the universe gave us one good moment in all of this hell and we're just going to take a moment and enjoy it. And the show pretty much always does that well, be it the first time Rick reunited with his family or the reunion at the end of the after the after the farm burned down. The show always does this well. And I like the fact that the show knows when to do this. Agreed. I, I think it's a strong cap on a premiere that's so heavy in action. I think he needed it. And I think it's nice to see these characters actually have a moment of joy. Um, so this is an episode that, you know, doesn't have any major twists. Nobody big dies, but I think it's a great start to a season. And I like the mix of action and those, 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 those moments in which we get to see the characters happy. And then we do have a bit of dialogue still. It was like a perfect, perfect, um, balance in my opinion. It wasn't the best episode, but I really liked it. That, that reunion scene, like you guys said, was very effective, but by far the most effective 
moment of any of that was Carol and Daryl. And I love the, the time that they give it. They really, they, that's that they sit on that hug for much longer than you would need to, to just show it. The camera doesn't move. The camera doesn't like spin around them or show the reactions of anybody else. It lets you feel the, just the weight and the warmth of that hug. I mean, hopefully everybody knows what it feels like to get a hug when you really need it. Did you hug the TV at the same time? I did not hug the TV. I don't know. If, if the TV you had hugged have... me back, I would have been a little disturbed. You should that hug your TV every once in a while. It needs your love. It does. The time, again, the, the way that, like you said, with the direction, the way that, that uh, Nicotero just sits in that moment was very effective, especially because when you think about the fact that Carol cleaned herself up before she because she still doesn't know how they're going to react to her or respond to her she has to assume that rick has told them all that she was the one who killed the people that were sick and in the prison um and and so there is the fact that she knows where they are and just and then and sort of presents herself but just kind of stand like does it quietly and there's not insecurity in her face, but you know that she's got to be feeling some element of that. It was really, really affecting. And uh, in a way that even the st- even baby Judith uh, and, and Terry and Sasha wasn't quite the same for me. Well, it's a yeah. matter of, it, it's a mix of good writing because there isn't any dialogue really. There's very little and it's good acting and it's good direction. But the thing is, you're right. When Carol shows up, she's not afraid and she's not insecure but she doesn't know what to expect, you know. Yeah, I will say it's a quick uh, follow-up to that. I totally, I loved Andrew Lincoln's performance in that moment where uh, Rick goes up to her and he's like, did you do all of this? And he no- and she nods and he's just so overwhelmed. Like, you can just tell in that moment when he hugs her, at this point, at everything you did for us, all is forgiven. I feel like his performance is getting better. And I, the thing about Andrew Lincoln's, I really do like him as the lead of the show when he's not crazy. I don't think he can play crazy well, or maybe it's the writing, but you know, the previous seasons where he was kind of unhinged, eh, that's when I had a problem with Andrew Lincoln. But I really like Andrew Lincoln in like, especially the second half of season four. And even in this episode, I, th- I thought he was really good. It, it, it's all about the beard. The thicker his beard is, the better his acting is. Well, no, but he's going to shave off the beard completely. Wait, what? What? No! Yeah, no. That's what Spoilers! I, that's what I heard. That's no, what I bad heard. show. Bad show. Don't okay, do this. we're no. an hour in, but we got to quickly talk about Eugene. Does anybody actually think he has a cure? Because I don't. I think he's full of shit. Oh, absolutely not. I think that that line, that description, did an excellent job of of towing, you know, of, of riding the fence. <laughs> if they if they want to have him be legitimate, they can say that he was dumbing stuff down and and go that way. And if they wanted to be full of shit with like it seems like he must be uh they they can do that as well i think it also makes uh michael cudless character he's he's not the abraham's not the brightest bulb in the box uh but 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 it it explains rosalita being willing to go along with it quite a bit more if it's like at least some semblance of believable and so i thought that that line and that you know i was waiting for sasha to be like actually i have an experience in this field and you're full of shit but Sasha I, I, clearly does not believe him. But I think Sasha's going along with it because there's something there, like the hope that there is a cure. Like she or anyone would think that just having that hope is a good enough reason for them to sort of like continue on and move towards 
Washington because I don't think she necessarily wants to stay anywhere near Terminus or Woodbury. Like, she wants to go somewhere different. And I think Sasha knows that he's full of shit. But the fact that these characters are holding on to hope, like, this is a, a, a series, a, a television show that kind of presents hope as being a dangerous prospect. But actually, it's kind of like good to have a bit of hope when you're in this kind of world because that's what gets you to survive and like if these characters hold on to hope that there is a better place and a better tomorrow that is why they are surviving as opposed to the rest of the people there's also there's not a reason not to go towards dc they're headed in that direction but what i mean is like even if sasha doesn't believe him or thinks some things up i like the the notion she's you know may have just sort of noted that to herself um but right now it's not like he's telling them they should do something crazy or, or ridiculously dangerous you know so if it comes to a point where he's like okay time for our suicide mission then she'll speak up but there's not a reason to not you know head that direction right now um so that's a good way to do it what else have they got going on at this point but but, but eugene does say something no no was it eugene knows abraham abraham says something to eugene at the end uh at the end of the episode where he's like should we tell them or he says no, something no no, no that that's how Ro uh, rosalita tells abraham should we tell them and he says not yet when the time comes or something to that effect so there's def i don't and i'm not sure what that is because i'm not sure they group even said at the resolved at the very end that they're going to go to DC. They just seem to be have a mind to put as many leagues between them and Terminus as they could. So I feel like we we haven't yet had that conversation between Rick and Abraham or Rick and Eugene as to whether or not Rick is going Rick is going to put the dictatorship behind this goal. Well, mm. and they're going to go get Beth first, and then they'll decide about DC. Yeah, I'm so glad they at least mention her name. You know, it's Daryl, right, that mentions her name at yeah, the start yeah, of the yeah. episode? Yeah, it's, it's in that, it's in that uh, little quick, uh, improvised weapon exposition that I mentioned. Yeah, earlier. because we had this big beef uh, last season where people wouldn't mention, like, the people that have gone missing or that they're looking for. I'm like, why isn't Sasha talking about Therese? Or why isn't Maggie talking about Glenn? I forget who it was. If there was one specific character. Oh, no, it was Maggie and Beth. Like, Maggie just would always be so worried about Glenn and everyone else, but she would never, ever mention her sister, which I thought was silly. <laughs> okay, I was, about to, I was about to suggest maybe they just don't think, think it's easier not to think about the people who are missing, but then you're right, no, she totally spent all that time thinking about, uh, about her husband, which basically nullifies it. Yeah, okay, um, last two things. Um, no mention of the word cannibal, which I think is interesting because there's never a mention of the word zombie. And um, also the new opening credit sequence i thought it was pretty good same music with new footage i love i love the opening credit sequence to uh, the walking dead it was it was nice to see some variety given that we haven't had new credits since i think the prison got introduced and even that was only just sort of an addition i feel like it's another thing that just cements the fact that this is net that this is now uh we're into the scott gimple era of the show and this is the first time he's had a con the first time the show itself has had a consistent showrunner and I figure it's as good an indicator as any that The Walking Dead will, continues to evolve and move forward. So speaking of moving forward, what are our hopes for this half of the season? I want to hear, you know, if you, can, if you could uh, whisper in Gimple's ear, what would you say? Because for me, I, I love this idea of them going to find Beth and I'm ass assuming finding Beth, kicking ass, taking names, uh, saving Beth, uh, and moving forward. I would love to see even a half season of The Walking Dead where they didn't feel the need to have everybody be angsty and uh, depressed and um, stressed out 
all the time, aside from the legitimate stressors of a post-apocalyptic wasteland and everything, I would love to see the group functional as a group, enjoying the fact that they're all alive and there's not, you know, an immediate threat. Even just a few episodes of that. Les, what about you? Uh, I would agree with you definitely on the group side of things. I mean, story-wise, I really have no expectations of The Walking Dead at this point. I figured the longer they're on the road just roaming towards indeterminate directions, the better the show, the better the show is. But I agree that I want more actual group interaction and not splitting the group up in particular. I thought last season worked really well, giving us these separate vignettes of the group on their various adventures and experiences through the post-apocalypse but i don't need them to contrive more reasons to split the group up let them let them work together let us remember that there are instances where these are not the dumbest people in the zombie apocalypse let them have a few wins let them work together ricky how about you okay my wish list now every time i make a wish i usually get it it takes a while but um okay first but the of all, only one we still need dog well we got the dog i just want a reoccurring dog yeah. But we did get the dog. We actually got yeah. two dogs. Um, so, yeah, but uh, we got the rocket launcher and everything else I've asked for. Um, <laughs> no, I've asked for some crazy stuff, and it's popped up later on. So here's the thing. I work at an elementary school, and uh, I think it was last week I substituted the karate teacher's class because, you know, I don't know anything about karate, but anyways. And um, the kids are going crazy. So I was like, okay. And these kids are like eight, nine years old, right? I was like, okay, well, I want to slow down the pace. And one of the kids was like, let's act like zombies. And all of a sudden, there was like 30 kids walking around like zombies, and it was really creepy. And I was like, damn, that would be awesome for a Walking Dead episode. I want to see them arrive at like an elementary school or something, and it's just like kids, like zombie kids. Like I know we've seen zombie kids in the show, but I'm talking about an army of elementary level like zombie kids. I think that would be creepy as hell. Um, so <laughs> Ankle <I'm> biters? <laughs> I want to see some zombie kids, like an army. And okay. I want to see a Christmas episode. I mean, like we talk about just wanting to see these characters sort of like enjoy life i mean they must still celebrate holidays like i mean they must still wonder like when someone's born when it's your birthday something like i would love, I'd love I'm, to see I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure none of them know what day it is anymore a, a zombie christmas santa claus yeah i think i think there's a way they could make <laughs> well there's got there's gotta be like i mean think about it when when Everyone started turning to the zombies. There has to be some weird-looking zombies running around, like a zombie clown. There must be, like, someone in, that was in a circus that happened to get bit while he was still in costume. There's got to be some weird stuff. Like, why is it all the zombies are always dressed in normal clothes? Mm-hmm. These are the same level of decay to the clothes as well. Uh, and yeah. It, that'd, be a, that'd be an amusing spin on that whenever The Walking Dead goes to Comic-Con. Walking Dead, the Walking Dead characters go to Comic-Con, and it's full of cosplay zombies. <laughs> Ah, oh, good times. Um, yeah, I, you know, they robbed me of the wedding episode that I was looking forward to at the farm. Uh, so I would be all for some, a birthday or a, um, or, or a, or a Christmas episode or something like that. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds good to me. <laughs> then Holiday Walking Dead just got me in the, uh, in the head space of what would, uh, a very, uh, Walking Dead Halloween look like. But, um, this yeah. is a show that this is a show that usually makes a habit of premiering on or close to Halloween. That's true, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I think that would be fun. I, I don't know about the elementary school of of zombies is, is going to happen, but you're, I do not question your magical abilities uh, in the world of making things happen in The Walking Dead, Ricky. So we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. Any final thoughts about this episode? 
I haven't read too far into the into the comic book series, but I'm told that the Washington uh, storyline is like the worst storyline in the comic book series. <laughs> so look forward to season six. Well, it's hard to know with Kirkman being so involved on the show, but it would be wonderful if they could feel the need to feel the freedom to diverge from the weaker elements of that. I don't know what they are, but um, OK, that's interesting. It's good to know less. Um. I think we pretty much have covered everything other than to say this was a really good premiere that reminded us of everything that we like, that we actually like about The Walking Dead and that Walking Dead does well. And if they keep on this track, that's really all I can ask of the show at this point. Well, Les, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, All over the place, it seems, these days. Uh, You can most currently find me at Sound On Sight, where I'm doing my reviews of Sleepy Hollow. You can also find my writing at the AV Club, and I'm on Twitter at LessIsMore909. Ricky, how about you? We've got a bunch of stuff happening at Sound On Sight. We should mention Horror Month, probably, yes? 31 Days of Horror. We release at least two articles per day on horror films and horror TV shows and horror video games and horror comic books, etc., etc., um, you can follow me on Twitter, Sound on Site. Of course, there's the movie podcast in which we usually review genre films. Uh, once again, over at soundonsite.org. Follow us on Facebook, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Tumblr. And, um, one last thing we should also mention that for uh, last, last season we were releasing podcasts, I think on Monday nights or Tuesday mornings. But unfortunately, because of our work schedules, we're going to have to release future podcasts of The Walking Dead on Wednesdays. Only for this season. I don't know about next season, but from now on, new episodes every Wednesday guaranteed. We will most likely be recording on Wednesdays, but we just cannot record on Mondays anymore. There's too much. There's too much happening. I, and we have too much of a regular person jobs for that to, to work. But um, Yeah, like three jobs. It's a good problem. <laughs> And, of course, you can find me on, on Twitter at The Televerse. The Televerse is the weekly podcast I put out each week with Simon Howell covering everything else on TV that isn't The Walking Dead. And um, and you can find my writing at Sound on Sight and also at uh, the AV Club as well. So, uh, Les, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Next week, we'll be back to talk about Episode 2 of Season 5, Strangers, written by Robert Kirkman and directed by David Boyd. I'm sure they'll be very interesting. So we'll be back for that next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. They're screwing with the wrong people. I just hope you understand that we didn't want to hurt you. Nothing was personal. You don't have to do this. We can put the world back to how it was. We have a man who has a cure. We just have to get him to Washington. You just have to take a chance. You don't have a choice. All you. You join us? We go to Washington and cure this thing. We get to start over, all of us. We're not splitting up again. We don't know what's coming next. When we get to Washington, we will make the dead die, and the living will have this world again. I don't trust this guy. We've all done something.
You don't trust us anymore. These people are my family. And if we hurt them in any way, I will kill you. Need to leave for DC right now. We're not going anywhere without our people. You show up, and three of us are gone. Go! You don't know what is at stake. Come on! No matter what anyone says, no matter what you think, where are our people? Every sacrifice we make needs to be for the greater good. In here, you're not the greater good. You're part of a system.